Returning to Genesis chapter 2 tonight, just for a springboard, there will be various portions of Scripture that we're going to study tonight on the roles of men and women. And let me just preface this message with saying, I know that when a series of messages has been announced, there are always some, some in the congregation, theoretically, who say, this is not for me. I'm not married, I don't have children, or I'm widowed, or whatever. But in all this discussion of God's plan and pattern for the roles of men and women, for children, it affects all of us. And the night's message on these roles are, are an area that affects every person, whether you're married or not. Those marriage relationships affects all those things or, or is called into question there, but God's plan is what we're going to see in the Scriptures uh, addresses our, the way we conduct our lives. And this is very prevalent today in the discussion today, and every child of God must be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. I never dreamed there would be such avenues of conversation to open up to share the gospel in this very area is one that will be afforded to you with co-workers and those who ask questions about what you believe about this and what does your church feel about this particular area or that particular area. The Holy Spirit records for us in the pattern. It's amazing that we just finished with Genesis and we're starting back over again. But this is the book of beginnings and to discuss anything you go to the very beginning where God originally discussed it. One of my, the men tonight that this afternoon the day when we were shaking hands and we're through, we finally got through Genesis. I don't know if they were glad or sad or uh, as if it was an achievement of crossing the finish line. But uh, we finally got Joseph buried and all of his brethren. Genesis chapter, excuse me, chapter 1 in the, the Bible in verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle, creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind. You see the emphasis there. And it was so. It's amazing that in creation, when God says something, the creation does it. The sun, the moon, the stars, there's no argument. Cattle, the, the creatures do exactly as God designed them to do. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. It was appropriate. It was fitting. It was good in his sight, and when God says something is good, that's the best it can get. It is ideal. Whatever We see that phrase over and over again, the Holy Spirit's amen to what the triune Godhead did in creation. This is good. This is good. And God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image. Man and woman are made in the image of the triune Godhead. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, God created man in his own image. He purposed, and you'll notice here, whatever God purposes to do, he does. There's no such thing as God purposing something, and it does not come to pass. You must know that when you're studying the scriptures, what the... Godhead conceived in eternity past, he brings to pass. And so when God said, let us make man in our image, that's the planning session of the council of eternity past. And then the Bible says, so he did that. 
He purposed, he did it. We see that throughout the scriptures. And that's a comforting thought that whatever God purposes, he will bring to pass in your life and in my life, in his church, in his plan and purpose in the ages. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. You see the emphasis over and over again? In the image of God created he him, male and female, to different people, different kinds of people, a male and a female, created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. It goes without saying that only a male and female could multiply. And replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. The subduing of the earth and all that is comes after man, his children would fall in this category. And, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over... Every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and all which is in the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, to every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. This is his analysis. This is his summary of his creative works. He saw it all, and behold, it was not just good. What does the Holy Spirit record for us? It was very good. God's plan in my life, in your life, in my home, in your home, in his church, in his world, is very good. In the evening, in the morning, Bible defines us here, all these people who debate about creation, a first grader could tell you what a day is, couldn't they? Evening and morning, the sixth day. Lord, would you bless your word tonight? We have seen that when Jesus was asked questions about marriage in Matthew chapter 19, he took his questioners back to the beginning, to God's original intent and his design in the scriptures to answer their questions. Here in our text, in verse 27, we learn that first mankind, or the human race, is created in the image of God, and that is a mystery for the invisible God to be created in man and us to be, uh, us to be created in his image. We don't fully understand what all that entails, but the Bible does tell us that we are created in his likeness, in his image, and second, that God distinctly and purposefully made them with obvious uh, differences. Male and female, he created them. We live in a day where society is pummeled with the propaganda from sociologists and psychologists and from the social engineers embedded and entrenched in colleges and universities, and many of them preaching a gospel though they would not call it that. It is a gospel of thought that says there are no differences between men and women. And so our society, our 21st century world, has created a fantasy world, an unreal world of imagination that panders to the sinfulness of a depraved human race and is endeavoring to change all that's ever been thought or taught about what the Scripture addresses as men and women, their roles, men and women, their roles, and, and what constitute a, constitutes a marriage and the home. 
when Satan tempted Eve, he did so by questioning the validity and the truthfulness of God's word. So any discussion of anything must go back to the truthfulness of God's word and with the presupposition that what God has said about anything is accurate and true and the basis upon which all else is, is, uh, comes from. And so it goes without saying to the audience on this Lord's Day evening that we believe in the absolute accuracy and veracity of God's word. And there we go to get our directions for all areas of life, not just this particular one. If, if, if the Word of God is not true in any area, it cannot be true in any other area. I mean, because it itself declares that it is the Word of God inspired and handed down from God without error. And so when it speaks about origin or when it speaks about the family or when it speaks about redemption, the need of redemption, the fall of man, Whatever the psalmist said, I esteem your word. Whatever it says about anything is true. And so we come with, of course, that presupposition. If that's not true, you see, your arguments can go based on what? Uh, your opinion or your feelings, and that's exactly where they go. There's not a, a, an authority. And you see, the teaching of evolution, the throwing out of the authority of the Creator, has brought about all these other uh, diversions and aberrant ideas because there's not a creator, there's no absolutes of how we came to be, then there's no creator to answer to. But that's not the way the Scriptures approaches it. It's, is it trustworthy, he asked Eve. And, and if, he, if it is, did he really say it? And if he did, does he, will he enforce it? Does he really mean it? You shall not surely die was Satan's direct uh, statement of opposition to what God said would happen if man ate of the forbidden fruit. Satan said, I'll give you, I'll tell you, you will not surely die. And so in that moment, the, the essence of sin is choosing to believe or to lean on our own understanding or Satan's false teaching, some false teaching above what God says about something. And that's the root of sin. That's where sin originates from. Uh, you shall not surely die. That statement which is not true, is it? Because they began to die immediately. That statement, that assurance, that false assurance from Satan, you can do what you want to and get by with it. There are no repercussions. Repercussions. You will not surely die. Was a lie, wasn't it? They did begin to die. And, and uh, to this very day, the soul that sinned, it shall die. It is interesting to discuss, and to, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, that the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2.14 declares, And Adam was not deceived. Uh, and that's an interesting uh, thing to, to, to think about. And when you think about the fall of man, the, the fault is laid upon Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. The old Puritan rhyme in, in teaching the, the phonics and teaching how to read. That's one of the first things. In Adam, A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. You see, why does the Scripture say that we sinned in Adam? And we go to Romans 4 and other portions of Scripture to, to prove that point because to Adam was headship was given. And that's why even though Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression or became a transgressor by the deception of the wicked one. Adam sinned open-eyed, high-handed, calculated, premeditated, I will sin because I want to. I, I would rather be with Eve 
and then and then to be with God is really what Adam chose if you get down to the essence of it and so he sinned without being deceived the woman was deceived uh, the scripture tells us many in our society have bought satan's lie the sad thing is the lies of satan have been bought into and wholesale and sold as a bill of goods but they are a very faulty faulty bill of goods to to lean your soul on and to make your decisions on. In society, the thought of modern day has taken the lies of Satan and made people think that they're true or that they're okay. That the biggest lie that we're seeing in this whole discussion of roles of men and women is that God can make a mistake. And if a person feels that God has made a mistake in their life, and their gender, how he has made them, that they should have been a man when they were born a woman or vice versa, that they have the right to surgically mutilate themselves, the body, and to change the mistake that God has made as far as a plastic surgery can do that and hormone replacement, reassignment can produce a pseudo-gender. It's not a new gender at all. It is a, a parody. It is a, a pseudo-gender that, that it is within a person's right to do so if that, that, that capability is at hand. And that's where we are today. Who knows, as the human race continues to fall in degradation, what new devices will be created to uh, pander to man's insatiable desire for sin and self-expression. Many who profess to know Christ savingly have been brainwashed to espouse this philosophy, i.e., that God is capable of making a creative mistake. When I say creative mistake in the, the, the things that he has created in humanity or whatever we would point to, and that man then can correct the mistake that God has made by surgery. But note the clear teaching of the scripture here in Genesis 2 verse 27. God created them in his image and that he created them with distinctive gender differences, male and female. Throughout the creation narrative, we've read that, as I've mentioned, that repeated evaluation from God himself after a creative act, and God saw that it was good. The word good in the Hebrew is tobe, and it means beautiful. How fitting it is for God to create something and say, that is beautiful. Uh, are loving, are pleasant, are for the welfare of all that is concerned, are for the welfare of creation when he told the sun to stay where it is and the moon and the stars. All of it was for the general welfare of everything else that he was going to bring into to, to creation. And so this pleasant, we live on a pleasant earth. We live in, a, in a, uh, an earth that is perfectly controlled by the sun and the water and all in, in a, this perfect harmonial harmonious balance if the sun were any closer we would die from the heat if it were any farther away we would freeze to death all those things that we could go on and on that this delicate balance and yet god has put these things into motion and they maintain into this very day by the word of his power whatever god creates is good and if you take nothing away from the message tonight and i hope there will be some other things but if I could just underscore in your heart and your thinking, whatever God does is good. 
and is from a sovereign, all-wise, and all-loving Creator Father. It is Satan's lie. He is constant warfare against the, the plan of God and the truth of God. It is Satan's lie that God has made a mistake. It is it's God has made a mistake in forbidding you, Eve, to eat of that, that tree. He has no right to do that. He's withholding something from you that would enhance your experience. You don't know what it's like to eat of that tree. You you're, ought to be free to, to eat of that tree. You ought to be free to, to enjoy that or to see in your free moral agent. You ought, to, you ought to try it and see if you like it or not. If you don't like it, okay. If you do... And that's the reasoning that, that people give today. I'm free to, to try this drug or to do this lifestyle and to, to all kinds of things. I ought to be able to do whatever I want to do and uh, never forgetting that those, those hindrances of the Word of God and the law of God are for our good, for our well-being because he knows the end result of every decision that we can make. When God says, thou shalt not, he knows why he says, thou shalt not, even though we might, in our humanity, think it's harsh or, or restricting to us. He knows the end result of every thou shalt not, where it will lead us. He knows it in general for the principle of all creation, and he knows in particular for your situation what the end result of thou shalt not what it will lead to. God has decided then that our calling in life, what it will be. And this calling, or we, we use that word as the scripture does, and you may not have heard the teaching along this line in using that term, but I, I want to use it because it is a biblical term. And a calling is something that God ordains and he determines. It is his divine will. God's calling is, uh, is uh, tied intrinsically with his will. The old timers, the old folks would say our lot in life. Those uncontrollable things beyond our control that God has designed and has determined for us our calling, our lot in life, from his infinite wisdom and knowledge and for our greatest possible happiness. Do you know that God knows that the possible outcome for every decision that you and I can make and every, the ramification of everything, the end result of all things? And since he does, since he is all wise, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we consult him? Shouldn't we go by his pattern, his plan and his word that guides us and promises to direct us and to keep us from evil and to keep us from slipping. I am called or ordained of the Lord to be a man. That is my first calling. The restrictive calling upon me as a creative being, I am called to be a man. Beyond that, a son, a brother, a husband, and a father. My more specific callings beyond that, beyond these basic callings of gender and the roles that that gender has brought to pass because of that original calling, these other roles that have come to pass, I have been gifted by the Lord in his sovereignty as a believer in Christ with further spiritual enablements and callings, gifts or callings. And, and the gifts and callings of God are often linked in the scripture together. Uh, to be used for the Lord's service 
to the edifying of his church and for his honor and glory. Romans eleven twenty nine is a verse you ought to mark. And there the apostle says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, the repentance referred to in that text is not repentance on our part. It's not like I've heard some people say, I thought the Lord called me to preach, but he must not have, and I don't feel called anymore, so I'm not going to preach anymore. That's not what that verse is talking about. I've often heard people say, now, when someone changes what they do as a vocation, maybe in the Lord's work or whatever, and some older believer will say, now, the gifts and callings of God are not are without repentance. And and I'm not going to deal with that tonight. We could discuss that, but that's a, that's a different teaching altogether. But the, the text there in, in Romans 11, verse 29, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Whose repentance is it referring to? The, the English Standard Version says, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. God does not go back on a call that he has ordained. Uh, it, it puts it even more permanently. The gifts and callings of God are what? Irrevocable. Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, said the idea is that the gifts and callings of God are not subject to a change of mind on his part. It's not, oh, I've made a mistake, so now you correct it by your science and in your own whatever you want to do, because I've messed up, so you need to correct the error that I've made. It's inconceivable. Our God does not make mistakes. The the idea of the gifts of God and callings of God are not subject to a change of mind on his part. That is, he will not change his mind. When God elects to save, we see that that election took place in eternity past. When God elects to save, the Bible calls that what kind of call? It is an effectual call that what God sets out to do in the salvation of a sinner, he will accomplish it. He doesn't ever change his mind about what he has purposed to do from eternity past. The great fallacy of man is that we heard in the scripture reading tonight is found in, in Romans chapter 50 verse 21 and hidden in that verse where God is telling his people the error of their way and the heathen, the lost, how dare they to, to tell him what to do. He, he gives this supposition in verse 21, the mighty God, even the Lord, see how the scripture qualifies him, the mighty God, the Adonai, sovereign God is what he's saying, has spoken, we could just say period, <laughs> whatever he says, period, and called the earth from the rising of the sun into the going down thereof. In verse 21, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such in one as thyself. Do you see? That's where we get off. Man thinks that God reasons like they do. I feel like this, so surely God in his grandfatherly nice way, because he doesn't want me to be unhappy or not have my way, so since I feel this way and I think this is unfair and I think this is unjust, I'll do this and surely God ought to, to put his stamp of approval on how I think, feel, or what I want. And the fallacy of that kind of reasoning is that we're reasoning of the triune God in the, 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 the omniscience and the, the knowledge of God from our myopic, limited perspective. We think God is like us and he's not. 
We're created in his image. We're not, he's not in our image, but that's the God that is presented, if he's presented at all to this culture, even by the professing church so often, is a God we can manage, a God that does what we want him to do, a God who uh, operates on demand. All those erroneous theological teachings comes from a misunderstanding, and this verse says it all. You, where you got off, totally off base, is that you thought I was just like you are. What is the opposite of that? I'm not. I've told you what I'm like. This is what I'm like. This is what I do. This is what I have done. This is what I expect. This is what my plan is. You thought that I was one like yourself, and nothing could be further from the truth. First Corinthians, and, and let me just back up and say, that kind of reasoning is no different than the gods of the, the Greeks and the Romans who just parodied or who mirrored what they were like, whether it was revenge or lust or whatever it was, they created gods after their own personality, their own thinking, whether it was Zeus or Apollos or Eros or all those gods that mirrored the emotions, the thoughts, of humans, and so they humanized God. Now, let me just say that when God decided to be humanized, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What became flesh? Everything that God ever said became the epitome in a body, and He lived it out to perfection, not the other way around. When Paul takes up the thorny and I guess if we're discussing all these relationships at some point, we'll have to discuss this in our discussion here. But when Paul picks up the thorny issue of marriage and remarriage and divorce and singleness and widows and all of that in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 17, I just want to lift this verse out, and we'll go back to the other at some other point. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, you see this calling again emphasized here as God in the picture is God distributing what he wills, the gifts to those he will, the callings that he will, beginning with our gender is a calling from God. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. In other words, live your life out in the calling that God has placed you in as a man, as a woman, as a father, as whatever that is entails for you. And so ordain I in all the churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is anyone called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But, thou, but, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. He was talking in a day where people who were slaves could not change their, their slavery, where they were. If you're set free, rejoice and use it. If you cannot uh, be, be set free, what is it, he said? Live your life out in that circumstance. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Your outward circumstances do not dictate your inward position with the Lord. Paul, Paul said those who are or who may be slaves, if you're in the Lord, you're as free or more free than someone outside of being owned by someone else who thinks they can do whatever they want to. 
Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. We're all the slaves of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? We're his slaves. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men, the slaves of men. And the thing that grieves me so is that our generation has become slaves to the thought of our society. Instead of setting the gospel changing through the, the power of the gospel lived out in lives and held up as the standard, we are, and I say we, uh, are adopting, and I use that term broadly, the, the, the gospel of our society, the, the mindset of our society instead of the other way around. Be not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man, and he reemphasizes this, wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now, remember our discussion here. We're talking about the roles of maleness and femaleness, not just the roles of husband and wife, because so often people just check out when you start talking about that. People often jokingly, now, Pastor, you're, you're talking about the family. Just don't talk about submission and <laughs> or, you know, the husband being in charge and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's, that is the circumference of what people think about talking about marriage and the roles. But... But we must start where the Lord starts, male and female. What is your calling? Are you living life out to the glory of God in the gender that he has created you to be? Because that is God's crowning work in your life. That in itself is freedom and liberty and and fulfillment. And you see the lie of Satan coming about telling people you are trapped in a body that shouldn't be yours, so mutilate it, whatever it takes to live life, whatever you want to. What a sad, sad, sad prison that thought life, that kind of thinking is. I would tell us that we should consider carefully and seriously our callings, the conditions, the boundaries that God has placed us within, and to be very careful about that we do not do anything contrary to his plan. As Paul said there in 1 Corinthians, are you in this situation, you think seriously about changing that, his will, his calling. Can you, on a piece of paper, write out, I know this is God's will for my life, and you write out what you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will is for you. That is the most freeing, glorious, wonderful place to be. Society or political Ideology or so-called political correctness does not dictate these callings. God does. Your feelings do not dictate God's calling. Your fallenness with the damage sin does to all of us, the, the the depravity of man, the fallenness, our fallenness affects every area of our thinking, our sexuality, everything that, that is human about us is touched by the fall. But we do not, as believers in Christ, as those who've been regenerated by the grace of God and by the power of His Holy Spirit, lean to our own understanding or our feelings. Your fallenness with the damage that sin does to all of us does not change these absolute callings from God. Society would tell you that because you have a body with biological urges, that you have the right to fulfill those urges however you desire to fulfill them. That is the general mindset of 99.99% of the people out there, or so it would seem. 
But God's Word teaches the absolute opposite of that. We don't live by our urges. Your body doesn't tell you how to live your life. As a believer, God's Word tells you how your body is to be used for the glory of God. We live according to the will of God and the Word of God. Now, let me, let me just read this portion of Scripture again in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll pick up there in verse 13. Now, the body is not for fornication. See, the world tells you that you're made to, to act out sexually however you desire to do that. But Paul says here unequivocally, the body was not made for sexual sin, but for the Lord. He made your body for himself and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? And he's speaking to those in the church at Corinth who had been saved from grievous sins. And by the way, when he mentions some of those horrible moral sins of prostitution, of homosexuality, he always uses it in the past tense. Such were some of you. You might have practiced this lifestyle at some point, but now, because of the work of grace, you are not living according to those urges of your fallenness. You have a new motivation, a new power within you, the power of the Holy Spirit. You were, made perhaps, in these different lifestyles, but now you're in the Lord. Shall I then take the members of... He said, your, your conversion has placed you as an actual, literal member of Christ's body. What a powerful picture that is. And then he asked... A, a theoretical question, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Well, God forbid, away with the thought. That's, what, are you, what are you saying? What know you not that he which is joined, and he uses just prostitution as one of the sexual sins. He could, we could get, mention any of those, but he just takes that one out as an illustration. You, don't you know that he which is joined to an harlot, and he used that same terminology that we used of leaving and cleaving last week. Joined, glued to an harlot, is one body, for two saith he shall become one flesh. Again, he goes back to the, the beginning there in, in Genesis and what that means. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. What does he say? He's not saying that people do not have urges, but what does he say? If you have to run from the, the, that, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth sexual sin sinneth against his own body. What? And then he sums it up with this declaration. Don't you know, you professing believers, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. If you're not your own, then whose are you? You're the Lord's. And he bought you, he redeemed you, and paid for you. So he has the right to tell you how to live out that calling, how to live out your earthly life in this body. For you are bought with a price. May I remind you what that price was it was the precious, sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mutilation and death of his body brought and bought your salvation. Therefore, in light of that, because of that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Again, he tells us, which are God's. Now, that's the definitive discussion about sexual sin. Then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in case there's any question about it, he goes back to this topic and says, furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, by 
the Lord Jesus Christ that as you have received of us how you ought to walk, how you ought to live out, conduct your life to please God, so you would more abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there are commandments in the New Testament? I thought we were under grace. You are saved by grace, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And yes, there are commandments of our Lord of how we're to live out this life, these bodies. And Paul says, you know the commandments we gave you. And he starts with this. This is the will of God. Even your sanctification. One of the ways that we set apart these bodies for the Lord is that we should abstain from all sexual sin. Abstain, stay away from it. That everyone should know how to possess his body, his vessel, in sanctification and in honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, this unbridled sensuality, which permeates our society. I realize that. But it did in Paul's day. The, The whole city of Pompeii that was destroyed by the volcano was the, the the public walls and the buildings and the houses were all just pornographic paintings it was just given over to it and so that's nothing new that's not didn't just happen the last 50 years that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter that means that word wrong defraud means wrong because that the lord is the avenger of all such or the re, he, he gets revenge as we also have forewarned you and testified For God hath not called us to uncleanness. This mirrors that the body was not made for fornication. It was not made for sexual sin. It was made for the Lord. And that gift of the Lord only in the parameter of what he's ordained it to be, uh, a married relationship. God hath not, do you see that word again? Called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Period. For the believer of Christ, God has called you to be set apart in every way, in every area of your lives. This set-apartness is so odd to a frowning world. It's so weird to your co-workers. To those of you who the Lord has called to be single, you've heard it, I, can, I know you, you must get tired of people saying, why aren't you married? Why don't you get married? And uh, as if that was the epitome of, of living on earth. And you ought to just respond, I am called by the Lord to be as I am. We have such warped ideas, don't we? And they even creep into the church among God's people. God has called us to be set apart, married, unmarried, widowed, whatever your calling may be, it is a set apartness unto the Lord. Your marriage ought to be as holy as your, as your singleness would be. He, therefore, that despiseth, or looks down on this, despiseth not man, but God. As LeGrand mentioned just a moment ago, worldliness is when we preach the word of God and we think it's weird. We hear it and we think that's weird. What I'm saying tonight, it sounds weird to the majority of the people out there, I'm sure. Even to some of God's people, it sounds, whoa, whoa. He that despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. We move then from the calling of God to his roles for men and women. And I've just, that was my introduction, okay? And so I'm going to just 
close this out and we'll have to take this up again. But you, you must have that introduction. Or you'll never understand when God says this is the husband should do this and the wife should do this. Why? Because of our callings. Because of what God has called us to, how he's created us. Our maleness and our femaleness dictates how we live out these roles in the marriage relationship, in the home, in the church uh, family. First, God has ordained that men should lead. And there I heard, I heard brains shut off, click right there, and the key go into the lock, and the, the lock is locked, and the door is barred to that portion of your Psyche. But I can talk real loud and I can get past a, a locked door. God has called men to lead in society, in the church, in the home. And I know some of you just said you need to qualify that, Pastor. And I'm just introducing some things here. We'll go back to it. But this is the scriptural matter of, of headship. When God addresses the role of Adam and Eve after the fall, He warns them of of one of the problems that will result from the fall is something they hadn't thought about. In fact, we never think about the results of our sin, do we? We don't think, oh, if I do this, that's going to happen, but whatever. No, Adam and Eve didn't think of a whole lot of stuff. But one of the things that that they did not think about is that, that one of the problems resulting from the fall is that both man and woman will want to be the head. And as... Dr. Porter in my New Testament survey class taught us when discussing the matters of church polity and the pastor and so forth. He says, anything with two heads is a monster. Genesis 3.16 says, and to the woman he said, he turns to Eve, God who had performed their marriage ceremony. He turns to Eve and, and he says to her, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Now, we don't fully understand what all that means. Did it mean that before the fall, women would not conceive as the possibility of conception be as often as it is now, the monthly cycle? Whatever that means, he multiplied her conception and her sorrow. I will leave that to, to, at that. I don't, that's not the, the purpose of this discussion here. But he said it. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be, and the men perk up here and say, it's in the Bible, you're to desire me. That's not what the scripture is saying right here. Now we could discuss all that at another time and place. But when he says thy desire shall be to thy husband, it literally means you're going to want to rule over Adam. Eve, the, the greatest thing that you're going to have to fight with every day is to tell Adam what to do. And what does the scripture say? He shall rule over thee. You're going to want to rule over him. My plan, my calling is for Adam to lead the home. But you're going to want to rule over him. And that's where the problems come. Can you say amen right there? John Gill writes, it looks as if before the... Now, Dr. Gill, you have to know, Dr. Gill taught himself Hebrew and Greek and could read it and write it and speak it as he could the English language. He was an absolute genius. He wrote commentary on every verse of the Bible and a lot of commentary on every verse of the Bible. 
Spurgeon said that, that Dr. Gill was in his study from morning to night. In fact, that's all he did except preach. And at the church, they would say, they, would, they had a euphemism, they'd say, I'll meet you tomorrow. As sure as Dr. Gill is in his study, I'll meet you tomorrow. That was, that was the thing they would say. But he wrote, It looks as if before the transgression there was a greater equality between the man and the woman. Or man did not exercise the authority over the woman he afterwards did. Or the subjection of her to him was more pleasant and agreeable. I guess it would be. They weren't sinners. It would have been more pleasant and agreeable now than it would be. And it was her chastisement because she did not ask the advice of Adam about eating the fruit, but did it of herself without his will and consent and tempted him to do the same. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, Paul, in addressing the church, says, I suffer, I allow not a woman to teach. And, of course, in the context there, it is speaking in the the worship assembly of the New Testament church, nor to usurp authority over the man. You know why he gives? What does he say? He gives that injunction, that teaching to the church. Do you know what he says? Because Adam was first formed, and then Eve. The pattern of God in the roles that he gives and for men to have the headship, he did it in creative order. He created Adam first and then he created Eve because he intended for Adam to lead. And so it is one of God's callings, it is God's plan for men to lead. Now, you could talk about the fairness of that until the Lord comes back again. You can talk about all the the uh, overreaching problems of that and abuses of it. But we must, if we're looking at the Scriptures honestly, on the, on the face value, the Bible says God made Adam first, and that's why women should not exert authority or usurp authority over them in the church. It is clear that even though Eve was spiritually and intellectually Adam's equal, this is not about equality. And though they were both equal in their standing before God, in their pre-fallen condition, they were equally condemned after the fall. Do you realize that? It was not one who had the blame more than the other. God did not say, well, because, Eve, you were deceived and didn't ask your husband, and you should have, I will make you be fallen. But because Adam went along with it, and uh, was not the first to, to fall, I'll not make him suffer greater. No, they were equally condemned. Dead is dead, isn't it? Hell is hell. They both equally shared in the condemnation, but they were created clearly and distinctly different in their roles that they were to perform. God deliberately and purposely designed them, and I'll close with this, male and female, man and woman. And they were created to fulfill his role and his plan and to live out their lives in their callings. We rejoice in the callings of God, don't we? Because if God could have done it a different way or a better way, he would have. Don't buy in to the lie of the philosophers and the social engineers, and the college professors, and the abortionist uh, activists, and all the list of people who, who have bought into that, and even now in the professing church. God 
doesn't make mistakes. How dare you impugn the holiness of a sovereign and all-wise God. His design is best. Did we say that we perfectly fulfill it out? No, we're fallen creatures. At our best, on our best day, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we, we mess it up, don't we? But it's not God at fault. And his pattern, even in this fallen world, lived out to the glory of God, will be to your good and your children's good and to the praise of his church and his gospel on earth. I remind you the greatest evangelistic effort that you couples will ever do is to live out your marriage vows because you picture Christ in his church. May the Lord bless his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your word and that it addresses everything that we need to know. Would you give us light and understanding and help, we pray. In Jesus' name.